I'm Dana. Hello. <laughs> he said to them, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. <laughs> Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Please pray with me. Lord, I just thank you so much for just the opportunity that we have to gather together. What a privilege, what a blessing it is to just hear your word with our brothers and sisters. I just pray that, yeah, you would speak to us and that your word would go forth with clarity and power and it would meet good soil on our end, that we would hear and be receptive. And so I just, I praise you and I thank you and I pray that you would just bless all my brothers and sisters here. Amen. There was a, uh, I don't know if you experienced this, I experienced it quite a bit. I, I feel like elementary school was the golden era of this sort of thing. It would inevitably happen, like, in elementary school, let's say third grade, there'd be, like, one kid who would miss school for, like, a week. And he'd be gone. He'd be like, oh, I wonder where Steve is. I wonder where Sam is. I wonder where Jessica is. And then they'd come back, like, the next Monday after a week gone, and they would just, their skin would just be glowing. It was, like, this beautiful golden tan. And, you know, the hair has been lightened. And you go, hey, what, what, where were you? Sometimes they wouldn't even have to answer. They could just point at this amazing swag, their shirt, and say, I've been in Destin, Florida. I've been hitting the beaches. Or they'd have like a, Dis a Disney World shirt or something like that. And it was just, I just, I remember it as, cl as clear as day. Just this whole, like kids would vanish, come back, and the first day back it'd be like a weird, Jama like a Jamaican braid, you know? Like a little... <laughs> <laughs> like Michael Scott when he came back from Jamaica, uh, you know, the beads in the hair, whatever, and a, like, senior frog's shirt or something like that. And uh, usually, at, at least at my school, the kids would be given a chance to kind of, like, share about their vacation while they were away, and they would just, you know, they'd have little pictures and, you know, a little, here's the ticket from when I rode Space Mountain or whatever, and uh, it was just a super, super cute memory I have. Um, and it just reminds me of, like, man, the, the eagerness of these kids, and myself included, when it was my turn, when I was able to get away for, for a family vacation or something, to, like, come back and just share what had happened. Share the good news, if you will. Um, and last week, last week we looked at Jesus' parable of the sower, which we, we discussed as kind of a key parable that helps us understand what Jesus is even doing in these parables. You know, if you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke especially, there, there are whole sections devoted to Jesus speaking in these parables, these kind of riddle-esque riddle sayings that clearly mean more than, than, uh, than just simply their surface reading. And they're meant to communicate often things about Jesus' kingdom that he's bringing. Um, 
then that particular parable was, was sort of a parable about the parables, a parable about Jesus' ministry, a parable about uh, even Jesus' other teachings. And bef- before he gave them the explanation, that was a nice one because it gives the parable, and then the disciples ask him, like, Jesus, explain this to us, and we get Jesus' explanation right there. One of the only ones that does that. Um, But in the middle of it, there's this enigmatic statement, if you remember, in verses 11 and 12, where Jesus says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables, Um, so that they may, and, and then he's quoting Isaiah here, so that they may see indeed, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And we just had to kind of sail past that last week. But I think, I think what's going on here is that this week's passage, these five verses, uh, this little tag at the end of the parable of the sower, is going to actually help explain what Jesus means by that, what he meant by that thing in verses 11 and 12. Here's the question. Here's why this matters. Because you could read verses 11 and 12 and think, think that Jesus seriously intended to hide himself and his good news so that many people would never perceive him, never understand him, and never be forgiven. Is that what Jesus was, was meaning by that? And I think perhaps to, to dispel some confusion, Mark includes these parables, these two little short ones right here in these five verses to kind of tag that up and to kind of flesh out that idea. What does it mean that he speaks in parables so that some might not understand? Well, let's, let's dive in. Well, some people call verse 21 just uh, the parable of the lamp. Let's read it again. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And then he gives a little bit of an explanation. Uh, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Um, and you, if you've spent much time at all in the Gospels, you may have heard this, like some of this language before about a lamp on a stand or a light being shown. And um, basically Jesus had evidently had this habit of reusing these teachings in multiple contexts. Sometimes he would even use them uh, in slightly different, like, like the same kinds of images and ideas for slightly different meanings. You could imagine as Jesus was traveling with his disciples and he's teaching in all these different contexts, he probably had like some go-to teachings that he wanted to keep using again and again and again and again, and maybe even go-to images to c- communicate different things. But when I, when I talk about this, I'm going to talk about a lamp, but oh, I like that lamp image. Maybe I'll use the lamp when I talk about this as well. Um, so there you go. But whatever's going on here, Mark... Mark wants us to see very, very uh, carefully. He wants us to not miss the themes that these kingdom parables in chapter 4 have in common. And actually, Joel Law, one of our elders, is going to teach next week on the remaining two parables that that follow this to get us to the end of chapter 4. But there's something that... And putting all these together, Mark is wanting us to not miss something. So instead of... um, I mean, honestly, when, I was, when we were breaking up this passage, there was the thought of just combining these verses with last week's, you know, since there's a lot of thematic unity and similarity. But we thought, man, if Mark, if Mark really, like, belabors this point this much, maybe we should too <laughs> here on Sundays. That's what we're going to do.
So, what is going on here? Well, you know, as we, as we said last week, you, you could try to spend a lot of time to kind of like unpack all these images and try to like, well, what, so let's talk about lamps in the ancient Near East. What was a lamp made out of? And there may be some value in that. But I think, I think we want to just kind of move with it the way Jesus moved with it to kind of just give you the big picture. And this doesn't take, the, the core idea here does not take a lot to understand. It's very, very self-evident. What do you do with, what's the purpose of a lamp? Purpose of a lamp is to reveal, it's to shine light, it's to dispel darkness, it's to make things visible. So his question, do you bring a lamp in to hide it, basically? Put it under a basket, put it under a bed, stuff it in a closet, or do you put it on the thing that allows it to actually have its greatest effectiveness? Do you put it on the lamp stand. I mean, we could think of this parable the same way. The silliness of like, imagine you've got some friends hanging out. Maybe you go down to um, Savi's Island. You're going to get in the water and somebody brings some music and they've got their speaker and they brought it all the way, you know, 30 minute drive to get out there and they've got their music and then they just keep it in their duffel bag. And that's the idea. It's like, what, do you bring, do you bring a speaker to stuff it in a bag or do you want to get the sweet jams going so that people can really get into it? I think the answer is obvious. Or you're cooking a bunch of food. You've labored, you've brought all this food, and presumably for multiple people to enjoy. You're going to try to be hospitable. You're trying to build a relationship. Do you just like immediately dump it in the trash can so that nobody can eat the food? Of course not. This doesn't take a lot. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. What is a lamp for? You don't hide it. If you've turned on a lamp, if you've lit it, you're trying to light something. So Jesus' question that he's rhetorically asking has an obvious answer. Of course you put the lamp on a lampstand. To do otherwise is self-defeating. And then he gives the explanation again. Nothing's hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So here's, here's the point. I think here's why Mark includes this. Lest any of us read the words of Jesus last week and go, oh my gosh, Jesus is trying to hide himself forever from a certain subset or class of people that they might never come to know him. I think Mark includes this to go, oh, actually, remember this teaching as well. He says, nothing is hidden. Yes, things of Jesus' ministry are hidden. He's speaking in parables to, in some sense, obscure his message. But he says, nothing is hidden except that it might be made manifest. Nothing secret except that it might come to light. So the idea is that the things, there are certain things of God that are secret for a time, but that secrecy is not the end goal, okay? The end goal is revelation. The end goal is that things about God might be known. The thing, that the, the end goal is that people might come face to face with their creator, specifically, specifically in the person of the incarnate Jesus, second person of the Trinity, God with us. Jesus is saying something super counterintuitive. Listen to this. He's saying that the things of God have been hidden for the purpose that they might come to light, that they might be seen. So what is that? God, it seems, for a time, actively, actually enables things to be secret. 
There's, or I should say, there's something about the hiddenness and the secretness of the things of God that actually enables them to be more powerful, more fruitful, and even go out more widely as revelation when the time is right. Um, so I think we could think about this in, in, in two key ways that, that I think Jesus is getting at. One is that think about the just historical circumstances of Jesus' ministry. And I think we talked about this briefly last week. So Jesus, especially as we've been reading Mark, he's been met with interest. He's been met with confusion. He's been met with kind of, I don't know, being kept at arm's length. And increasingly, uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, they are each coming to the realization by this point in Mark that they don't like this Jesus and they want to kill him. They've decided to plot to kill Jesus. And so there's a very, very pragmatic sense for, for, for this point in human history 2,000-some years ago where Jesus had to operate with secrecy. Had to be as wise as a serpent. Remember that teaching of Jesus? Gentle as a dove? But he had to be wise as a serpent. He had to, he had to basically... I mean, just think about it. Jesus is continually telling people. He heals him. He says, don't go tell anybody. The, the demons shout out, you're the son of God. He says, be quiet, be silent. He silences them on the spot. I don't want people to hear that right now. He's constantly, constantly trying to ask for more and more secrecy. And then the very, as we read last week, the very speaking in parables is another form of this, that he can communicate things that are crucially important about his kingdom while also concealing them from those who don't have the ears to hear. And so the idea is that this is a tool, this is a tool for him to do all that he needed to do before the time came for his arrest, right? Jesus had about three years of public ministry where he taught, he healed, he did this, he did that, he fulfilled, he walked in the footsteps of Israel in these really beautiful, theologically loaded ways. And he had, he had work he needed to do until he was arrested and ultimately killed. Because when Passion Week comes, it's quick, it's quick. His death comes quickly. And so Jesus, historically, I think the secrecy works for him to be able to accomplish the things he needed to do before the time had come for him to be crucified, before his public earthly ministry was going to have to come to an end. So, the secret thing, the hidden thing, allows Jesus to actually get out all of the, the teaching and the healing and the message of who he is and the kingdom he's bringing to the degree he needs to be able to it before it comes to an end, before he's killed. And that's not the end of the story, though. I mean, Jesus is going to die, and then he's going to be revealed, right, in full. He's going to be raised from the dead. That's what we believe. I hope you believe that. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to appear to hundreds of eyewitnesses. He's going to teach a bit more, and then his closest disciples are going to see him ascend up. I wonder what that looked like. Ascend up to the throne room of God to sit at the Father's right hand, all with the promise that he's going to return in the way that he left. And so, to understand the secrecy idea, we have to put that story. This is, this is the secrecy that gets him all that he needs to be able to do up to the point of the cross, but then, man, he is going to be revealed and revealed in full to these very same disciples that are hearing him here. 
So if Jesus seems obtuse, if he seems secretive, he is. But it's not to keep everyone away for all time. It's, it's for his purposes to be able to be completed so that when the revelation of who he really is comes, it can have all the impact that it needs to have. That's what's going on here with the secrecy. And then Jesus ends with the same phrase we saw last week. He ends that little saying with, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's a little challenge that Jesus inserts, usually with these parables. Again and again, if you read through the Gospels, through these parable teachings. It's a challenge to you. This is a short, enigmatic statement. A lamp. You know, what do you do with the lamp? Oh, it's meant to be revealed. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you, are you willing to lean in, to draw in, to, to, to pursue what I have for you in this? Or do you say, well, that's, that's a stupid way to communicate, Jesus. I'm not going to bother to try to sit with this. I'm not going to try to understand it. He puts it back on us. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the rest of this passage you could think of is, is, is leaning into that, that challenge if you have ears to hear because he goes on, verse 24. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So he's given this this parable about the light, the lamp, and then he gives this little, you could call it the parable of the measures, just another short statement. This is about hearing, specifically. And the message is simple. It is a challenge to be spiritually attentive to the message of Jesus and his kingdom. And attentiveness is going to be rewarded with deeper understanding and hard-heartedness is going to be met with greater confusion. So this is just another way of saying, do you have the ears to hear? Is your measure one that's actively engaged in desiring to understand the things of Jesus or isn't it? So this is simple. There's, There's nothing too complex here. Do you have the ears to hear what Jesus has has to teach you? And at this point, we have to ask, like, I think it'd be worth asking, like, what are the alternatives to not leaning into the teaching of Jesus? Because, um, well, and I would just say, this question applies to everyone in the room. I know in this room, probably the majority of you have been followers of Jesus for some time. You've been walking with him. You you trust him. you, you, You consider yourself his disciple. But there are things on your hardest days or maybe every day, that nag at you, that make you question, like, man, is this Jesus stuff, is this Jesus stuff for real? Is there a better way out there? Maybe you see a friend who's not a follower of Jesus that seems more compassionate than you, more successful than you. Uh, Maybe they have richer relationships than you do. Uh, Maybe they have more money than you do. Whatever. You keep going with that. And it's easy in those situations. We all, have, we all have those people. It's easy in those situations to go, is this Jesus stuff seriously, seriously worth it? Because so-and-so seems to be getting along just fine without, without him. 
And if you're not a believer in this room, I assume there's a couple people in here that aren't. Maybe you're flirting with Christianity, or, or, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're just here, you know, because we have AC or, or something. I don't know. Um, we don't have very good AC, unfortunately, so I'm sorry. Um, but, but if you're not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, the, the odds are there is something that you've kind of grafted onto in terms of trying to give some structure to your life, some meaning to your life, some purpose to your life, sense of value to your life. So whether a believer or not, what are you, what are you really, in the heat of the moment, tempted to jump ship away from Jesus to when life gets difficult? And life does get difficult. It gets difficult for all of us. It gets difficult for me. It's difficult for you. Are there any alternatives to to Jesus and his kingdom that are lasting? And I I don't know. Some of you may be more philosophically minded and and think, or or maybe if you're not super into philosophy, you think, well, you know, it seems like the the secular world out there does a pretty good job of coming up with, you know, a coherent system of morals or whatever. But man, isn't it crazy? If you ever study the history of Western philosophy in particular, it's really just the story of, of, of thinking detaching itself from a creator God and trying to find a sure footing from which to build up, like how do we know things and how do we know what's right and wrong and how do we have a good basis for doing science and all these things that are crucial for us and just continually different philosophers coming and, and critiquing the one that came before and saying, well, your thing doesn't really work for reasons A, B, C and then this next person comes, well, yours doesn't really work for A, B, C and D and it just goes down and down and down and down until the state of things right now is essentially... There is no meaning except what's personally constructed. And what's personally constructed by you is probably just a means to grab power. That's kind of where we're left right now. And for people who have the eyes to see that, um, I mean, some people can try to make their way with that, but I don't believe that that for many people there's going to be a satisfying way to order your life based on kind of secular philosophy. What about money or career? I mean, we've all seen the horror of, of celebrities that seem super happy, they've been super influential, they had great careers that you and I might like to have uh, that tragically end in suicide. And it's that unique horror of seeing someone who's gotten all the things that you think you want, all the things that you think would actually you know, sort of bring final significance and final peace to your life, You know, we've all got those things. Like, if only I could just get to this place, if this one thing could happen, then everything would be fine. Or then I'd be happy. Or then I could rest. Or then I could really enjoy my family. Or then I could really invest in my friendships. Then I could really pick up those hobbies I've been putting down. Then I could really become the artist that I want to be. We all have those things. If only. And we get seemingly monthly reminders, tragic, sad, I don't want to make light of this, just deeply tragic, sad reminders that there is no silver magic bullet that career or success of any kind in that realm can give you. And we have cautionary tale after cautionary tale. Or increasingly, what about sex? I mean, we cannot deny, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know that I could imagine anyone saying that Jesus' sexual ethic is not getting increasingly difficult to live by in our age. 
as more and more, year after year, decade after decade, it gets more and more out of step with the norms of our culture at a breakneck speed. It is hard. It is hard, A, to live Jesus' sexual ethic that he seemed to really care a lot about. It's hard to live it. It's almost harder to just embrace it philosophically to say, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a healthy and good vision for human sexuality. It's hard. But man, so often our culture, so often people in our culture are trying to make sex and sexual fulfillment carry the weight of their own human significance and happiness. And can it carry that weight? I mean, I don't know how often you really think through it, but does, does, does the standard sort of world's vision for sex really seem to you to lead to human flourishing? Does it really seem to you to really lead one to cherish and dignify human life? And is it at all really a sturdy enough foundation to create meaning out of an otherwise meaningless life? I think people's, people's descents into things like pornography tell the complete opposite. And obviously, pornography is very different from, you know, other forms of sexual expression. But the story of most people who fall into severe pornography addiction is you, you dabble with it, you find pleasure, you find enjoyment with it, but over time you become desensitized to what you're experiencing and people end up going down deeper and deeper and darker and darker paths to sort of get the same amount of pleasure and shock and excitement. Often people like hitting a severe, severe rock bottom. It's just not, that's just not what it's designed to do. It's another one of these idols that if you give yourself over to it, you only become enslaved by it because none of these things apart from God himself are meant to carry the weight of our identities, of our joy, our happiness, of our peace, of our purpose. What about power? I mean, so often we, we I mean, I'm not sure, it seems like a maxim, the more power that someone has, maybe apart from, from God himself, the more it seems to corrupt and curdle the human soul. I don't even know if I need to give examples of this, but unchecked power tends to unleash our worst impulses. And even if you got all the power that you secretly want and secretly crave, you have to let it all go when you die, don't you? It, it, it has no power to transcend the limitation, that, that key limitation that comes for all of us, which is death. So we could go on and on. But when Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If Jesus says, lean in and listen to what I'm saying, I think it does us well to stop and say, what are the things that are those competing voices? And I know we can't do it for everyone's things right now, or even in a single message, or even in a single day, or maybe even in a single year. But I encourage you to look, what are the things that are vying for that ear? Really, what are they for you? What leads so many people, apart from Christ, to despair is the realization 
that every other road, and I'll just speak for myself, as far as I could tell, every other road is a dead end. And that's not final proof that Jesus' way is not also a dead end. Maybe it is. There are plenty of people that think this Jesus stuff we're talking about is a fantasy, it's a lie, it's another grab for power, uh, you know, and on and on and on. But when Jesus says, do you have the ears to hear? Is there anything else that has a right to your ear? In a moment of clarity, if you can see it for what it is, is there anything else that can withstand the scrutiny? It doesn't end in death and disorder and pain. Well, Mark, the author of this gospel, along with the 12 apostles we read about a few weeks ago, along with hundreds of early eyewitnesses, along with thousands of first century Christians directly impacted by those eyewitness testimonies, along with, I guess, billions of Christians who have come to see and savor Jesus one way or another over the last 2,000 years, all across our globe. They say that this Jesus that we keep reading about was the Spirit-anointed King promised and sent by God, that He was the, not just that, but He was the eternal Son of God in human flesh, and that He was the self-sacrificing Savior of the world who offers forgiveness and grace to any who will receive it without exception. That he really died, that his mother wept at his public execution, but that he rose from the dead. And that his friends could put their fingers in his side after seeing him hanging broken on the cross. Could see him restored his resurrection body and put their fingers in his side and see that it was really him. Many people took this this resurrection that's really hard to explain if it didn't really happen. Many people took this as evidence that, that everything that Jesus taught, everything that he did, everything that his miracles were pointing to and signifying, everything that the prophets had declared about him was true. That this Jesus was and is, in the words of Hebrews, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Can you imagine being one of these scruffy men or we'll call them scruffy women as well, that <laughs> traveled with Jesus. We, we don't talk about scruffy women enough. One of these men or women, first century, traveling with this man, eating with him, seeing him do these things. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, even his own brothers and sisters, his, his human brothers and sisters, to see him and then to come to believe like the author of Hebrews that he is the radiance of the glory of God, that this Jesus holds the universe together. You believe that? How does someone come to believe that? They had to see it. The whole reason 
this church exists, Door of Hope Northeast, is to convince you that that is true. And that's not only that it's true, but since it's true that everything for you can, can be and is different, that there is forgiveness for your sins, that there is actual belonging in an eternal, global, multi-ethnic family and kingdom of God for you, though you were far away, though you were even God's enemy, he did everything necessary to bring you close. And there is real hope that, that every time you turn on the news, and gosh, we read about COVID-19 again, and we go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is flaring up again. We're all so exhausted of even having to think about it, let alone you know, modify our lives to deal with it. There is a real hope, not, not as some people you know, pro- prospect the end of the universe is just the heat death of the universe where everything goes cold and nothingness nothingness reigns, but that there's a real hope that God is actually going to put everything right one day, that there is a deeper peace and a deeper healing coming to God's world and God's people than you could have ever imagined. And I'm seriously, I mean that, deeper than you could ever imagine. Wherever you think the most peaceful, beautiful, like restoration of this world would look like, I guarantee you what Jesus has in store is far greater than what you could imagine on your best day and mine. And that not only that, but that you get to be a vehicle of that grace and peace and hope for others as well. You get to be heralds of that news. And we, we talk about these things pretty much every week, don't we? We always, when we, whatever, whatever past we're saying, we end up talking about the cross. We usually end up talking about the future hope that we have. But, but I, I want to connect to this idea that Jesus says, do you have the ears to hear? And he offers us something that no one else can offer, no one else can make claim to, no one else could possibly, even if they wanted to do it, no one would have the means to do it. So lean in. When he says to listen, listen. When he gives you a teaching that's hard, try to trust him through it. When what he says is confusing, seek to understand when the community he's calling you to is frustrating and difficult, as it is for all of us at one time or another, press in. What this, these two short little parables and their explanations remind us of is two beautiful things that seem a little bit in contrast. One is that Jesus does not intend to remain hidden forever. He is not holding the world at arm's length, you know, trying to stay, oh, I hope too many people don't find forgiveness in me. Things operated in secret for a time, but he was revealed as who he really is when he was raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And even then, he's coming back. We still wait for the full revelation. And this is a season of grace, not of indifference on his part, but of grace and mercy that more people might respond, more people might discover that ear to hear and come and follow.
So Jesus is not hiding himself from everyone forever. In fact, the only reason the things of God are ever hidden is that they might be made manifest. They're secret that they might come to light. Jesus, I, I, I feel like I can say this to everyone in the room. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He is not keeping you at arm's length. And at the same time, all that is true, the second half of this is true as well, that there will be people who simply do not want to hear what Jesus has to say. So there's a responsibility on our part to respond to the news about the king. So some of you, you know, I I don't know everybody in this room, but some of you, maybe for the first time today, feel like you have ears to hear. And if that's true, if you feel like, man, I I want want to know more about this Jesus. I want to follow this Jesus. I want to receive what this Jesus has for me. I want to give myself over to him. Um, If that's you, come talk to me. Come talk to Josh after service. Come talk to somebody. There's a lot of people in this room that look like they know what they're doing as it relates to Jesus. And they do. Talk to one of them. Share it with somebody. May this be the day that for the first time you tune your ear into the king and find that there's everything to gain. But maybe some of you, you know, you know this, this old hat, or you have known this. Maybe, you've, maybe your ears turned a little bit cold. Maybe things of your, your walk with Christ has turned a little bit familiar. Maybe you feel like some of the things of God are hidden right now from you. You know what? You're not crazy. We live in a time of grace, but it's the time between the times. It's the time between Jesus' first coming and his promised second coming when he's going to reveal himself in full again. And this is a hard time to live, friends. We just got to acknowledge it. This is hard. Life is hard. But the kingdom is coming. And maybe you haven't had the ears to hear for a while, but maybe today you have the ears to hear it again for the first time. And if you do, as you go, I want you to take this challenge to hear the words of Jesus. If you have ears to hear, hear is a challenge to press more and more into communion with God, to become, maybe God, very pragmatically, are you a reader of the Bible? You're a reader of his word? Become one. Has your prayer life turned cold? Are you a prayer? Pray. It's really simple. It doesn't take a lot of time. Start where you can. Invest in your Christian relationships. I believe Jesus, I believe God speaks through those as well, especially the ones here in this church. But wherever you are, If you have at any point had the ears to hear and you've said, I see you, Jesus, and I want to follow you and I want to trust you and I believe that you've done all that's necessary to save me and I believe that you've invited me into your family, believe that you've forgiven my sins, then more than anything, I think what we need to do is praise God. Praise God for what's been revealed to us and what he's done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do through Jesus. Amen.
It's not a flashy text. But Jesus wants to bring his secrets to light. And he wants you to hear them. He wants you to receive them. So may we do that. Amen.